You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Trademarks Made Easy for Private Label and E-Commerce Sellers podcast. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the Private Label Lawyer. As a trademark lawyer and brand name selection strategist with specific experience in the private label world, my goal is to help you navigate the e-commerce space by properly selecting and protecting your trademarks. Today, we are continuing the conversation with Gary Wang, the founder of 8020 Sourcing, about the U.S.-China trade war and what this means for you and your online business. Because Gary is such a wealth of information, I really had to break this up into two easily digestible parts. Guys, there's so much good stuff in here. So if you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go check it out first and then come back and listen to part two. There's so much good content in here. So get ready, guys, and I'll see you on the other side. Now, you had mentioned the three takeaways, and I think I let you get away with two. Do you have one more for me? (laughs) (laughs) The the third takeaway actually is to find a local partner based in that country. The reason is because anytime you're trying to work in a new culture, in in a new country, a new environment, there's a lot of things that, you know, we're not culturally fluent with. And then also the new partner may be able to access networks that you are not able to access. So I had an interesting interview with a seven-figure seller, Jordan Lindbergh, he was sourcing product, his product from India, actually. And then he went to a trade show in Vegas to learn more about his product niche and just talking to these people. And he identified that India was a key player in manufacturing of this product. And then at the trade show, he was able to build relationships. And then one of which was ultimately uh, became a local partner for him to help source from India. So he said that this really helped him a lot versus trying to, you know, do all the communications online, even though, you know, in India, English is one of the main languages, you know, there really isn't the same language barrier that you have with a China, with a Vietnam, etc. It was still very difficult to communicate, because, you know, they, they lacked some of that more ambiguous, um, you know, cultural sensitivities and the, the network that's very difficult to attain. So I really recommend finding a, a local partner if possible. I think that's so brilliant because it goes back to what you were talking about a minute ago, Gary, about really building those relationships and that sometimes it really is, it's great to have that face-to-face contact with someone and going to trade shows and, and you know, these, this kind of goes hand in hand, going to trade shows helps you build those relationships with people and can obviously help you ultimately have a contract, a contact or a partner on the ground in that country, like India or Vietnam or China. And that seems really key because that person kind of goes to bat for you. They can help you with negotiating. I'm sure negotiating these deals can be very complex 
because you are dealing not only with just money, but you're dealing with language and small differences in cultural nuances. That's kind of been my experience when I've been trying to negotiate something with, with a Chinese council. It's just a little bit different. And having someone I like, I have an attorney that helps me a lot in China and just having him has been a world of difference for anything that I want to get done there. So having that partner on the ground is vital. I think that's such a key takeaway <laughs> from all of this is having someone on the ground in that jurisdiction that can help navigate. And I think another thing that people need to think about is getting up and going. Because I know that a lot of people are looking for these online businesses where they can stay at home and work from their computer. But if you are wanting to really build a business, a brand, and source products that aren't just Amazon specific, because this is something I really harp on, Gary, with people, mm -hmm. is be very careful about building that Amazon-centric business, right? Like, don't just get products that are good for Amazon. And don't just pick a trademark that will work because it can get enrolled in brand registry. Like, look at the big picture, like really take a holistic approach to all this and build a business, not an Amazon-centric business. I think that's really important. And sometimes it takes people getting up, <laughs> maybe out of their comfort zone a little bit and getting out of their neighborhood and going to China or going to Vietnam or India and exploring these different places and really getting their boots on the ground, so to speak, to find partners and to source. Let me ask you, what percentage of people that you work with do you see proactively want to go to foreign countries to do sourcing? Do they want you to do this? I mean, are they outsourcing the sourcing or are they... <laughs> Do you have a certain percentage or like, you know, maybe 25% that are like, I can't wait to get to Shenzhen to do my sourcing or, you know, the candle right. there? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I'd like to share this statistic. Um, there was a study done by webretailer.com where they surveyed uh, many e-commerce sellers. And then one of the key takeaways is that multi-million dollar sellers are twice as likely to attend trade shows than non-multi-million dollar sellers, right? So it seems that the more successful sellers are getting their skin in the game. They're you know, taking that flight to Canton Fair to visit their factories or to at least to visit trade shows, even you know, in Vegas, for example, to, to get that edge. Another benefit to showing up in person is that you separate yourself from you know all of the looky loos on Alibaba, you know asking for the, the lowest price. You, you know, I mean, like yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you put yourself in the supplier's shoes, I mean, they have to filter out the buyers as well. So they're they're doing vetting on their side as well. So just by showing up, you know, that puts you in in front of the line. You know, and it shows you you're a serious buyer. Exactly. Yeah. You have the resources. Exactly. You're serious, right? With some of my, my previous clients, you know, we, we really advise that they visit the factory if they get a chance. And, you know, I've accompanied them basically on a whole road show. We, you know, we, did, we went from northern China, we visited factories down to south China. They really, you know, got a lay of the land to, to find out how these things work. And then oftentimes, you know, they're not sure about the supplier, but they're very close to pulling the trigger. I would highly recommend it, you know, to, to visit the factory. 
going back to your question, is there a, like a statistic or a percentage that I can put on that? I, I think that, you know, with uh, the internet, with globalization, it's a lot higher now than before. And, but I, I would still say it's the minority because I think most people, they have commitments, whether if they have a full-time job or, you know, they have their family, it's not that easy to, to, to take off like that. Because if you do fly to Asia, I would say, say that it's probably like a week-long commitment at least because you have the jet lag, you have, you know, the 12-hour, the 14-hour flight and ground transportation, et cetera. So it, it's not that easy, but I think it is one of the, the stepping stones if you really want to build that seven-figure business. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder, I'm seeing this correlation, right, of the success and the going out of your comfort zone and going to the, you know, going to these trade shows. What's causing what? I mean, I look at this and I say, okay, if you want to be a seven-figure seller, these are the steps you're going to have to take. It seems like you really need to go to these trade shows. You need to go look at your, you know, go meet with your manufacturer. They take you more seriously. And yeah, it costs a lot of money and obviously time. I mean, like you said, I mean, you're looking at probably 10 days. I mean, by the time you travel and you kind of recover a day or two yeah. <laughs> and all of that, I mean, you're looking at a chunk yeah. of time and a chunk of money, but are you seeing sellers kind of recoup that cost or have some ROI there by being able to negotiate better deals for their products? Are you, do you see anything? Like oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. By visiting the factory, by sitting down with the owner, because most of the time the owner is not fluent in English. You know, so most of the communication, if let's say, you know, Susie is, you know, sourcing her private label product, most of the communication done on the China side is through a salesperson. And then China's, you know, business hierarchy is hierarchical. So it's it's really yeah, it's very rigid. So basically the boss is like the emperor. You know, like he calls all the shots. So if you are yeah. able to get some FaceTime with him, you know, you can sit down, break bread, you can have a meal with him, mm -hmm. learn a little bit about his family. You know, you share about your family, where you're coming from. You know, maybe his kids, you know, want to go to school in the, in the States. Maybe you can you know, help him out, make some introductions. I think that would add uh, tremendous capital in the relationship piggy bank. In China, we call this guanxi. This is a concept of relationships, trust, time mixed together. And then this is actually a stronger bond than the actual the business side. So by going to China, by visiting the factory, sitting down, having that meal, because in China, actually, more business is done socially out of the, the boardroom, out of the meeting room. Like maybe it could be in the restaurant, maybe it could be in the, in the coffee shop or in the, the karaoke, you know, whatever. Actually, more business is done there than, you know, in the traditional, more rigid business structure. So that's, so you can negotiate better deals by visiting in person. You know, I've done this myself. You know, we've found out ways to solve problems that we were stuck on for months by sitting down with the, the factory. And additional benefit is you can see the whole production line. You can see the whole, the factory, the facilities. You can notice like, hey, you know, they shouldn't be doing that. Or you can even try to, you know, you can communicate with the engineers. I mean, I'm fluent in Mandarin, so I have the, you know, I'm blessed that the fact I can actually communicate with the engineer. I can explain to him, you know, with no filter what's going on. But just the simple fact that you can go there, you can observe you know, my foreign clients, they're able to see, you know, this is exactly the problem, right? Like maybe the, the rubber tool is, you know, it's not fitting correctly. 
So you can problem solve a lot. So negotiations, problem solving, relationship building, getting a better price, all of these are additional benefits to showing up in person. So I do highly recommend it if your listeners get the chance to, to visit. So guys, go book your flights right now. Go do some research. <laughs> <laughs> Find a trade show. Find out where you can meet with your manufacturer, whether or not they're going to be attending a trade show or if, you're, if you need to go to this, the country of manufacture. I think this is important. I think that people underestimate the importance of human contact. We're all like kind of stuck in our, on our computers and we're stuck on our smartphones all day and we're not going out and making these personal connections with people. The technology is great because it facilitates it and we should take advantage of it. We should use the technology to shop online for the cheapest flight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we should still go and, and, you know, make this face-to-face contact. It seems like it's absolutely invaluable. And of course, from my conversations with people in this industry, I've heard people say, oh, it's so important to go. But I mean, I feel like you've really driven that home and I think that's important. And you use the Chinese term that kind of encompasses this relationship building and I'd love for you to say that again. And if there is an English equivalent to that word, right? There might not be. Yeah, it, the, the word is guanxi. And I think there's no direct translation, but the closest translation would be connections or relationships, because in China, there are 1.3 billion people. So there are so many people out there. There's, how can I put this? History of trust, um, because there's a lot of people that are scamming people. So Let's say, for example, you know, I did a, a graduate studies program in China, in Nanjing. So my classmates, you know, half of them were Chinese, half of them were, were from the West. My Chinese classmates back then that I met back then, we have like a really tight bond. So it's, kind of, it's almost like, like a college, like, a, like a maybe like a fraternity or sorority have like a really tight-knit relationships. So even now, like 20 years later, I can really call upon them to help out in case I need help with something. And then if on the other hand, I get burned by someone, you know, everybody in that network would know. So they would be ostracized. They would be pushed out. So there's actually that, it's kind of like, um, how can I put it? It's like a relationship in, even intensified even more. And then this quenchy, it's built over uh, time, it's built over trust, it's built over, you know, business done together. So it's, it's, it's like, you know, something that you, you continuously invest in. I hope that was clear. It is. And let me, let me ask you this, this kind of ties things together, I feel like, and maybe brings us back to the US-China trade war. You talked about the elephants, right? And we're not elephants. We're just the little Annie yeah. <laughs> hanging out hanging out, doing our yeah. thing, you know, trying to enjoy life and our families and contribute the best way we can. But we have these elephants. They exist and they always have and they always will. How are you seeing the relationship of people on the ground, people like mm. us, who are based in China and who are based in the U.S.? Are you seeing any better connection or do you see any maybe lack of trust now that there's this trade war going on or no difference at all? And because if, there, if you said no difference at all, I wouldn't be surprised. We're just anteaters, right? We're just... Yeah. So on the personal level, I, I am seeing... I can break it down two ways. Okay. First, the American Chamber of Commerce 
in Shanghai. They're all U.S. companies, but they're all based in in Shanghai. And you know, when we did go to the the door knock to D.C. and we sat down with these,、um, you know, the Congress people, the White House officials, etc., they kind of viewed us as like they weren't happy to see us. They're kind of like you know, these guys are. You know, some people would say they're traitors, right? They're they're on the other side. They're like you know, fostering business over there, right? Yeah. And then on the other hand, in China recently,、um, in CCTV, the the state media,、uh, the news, there's a lot of like fanning the fire that you know China's not going to back down. So there is more nationalism, you know, in China as well. I don't want to get too much into the politics behind it, but basically, I feel like both leaders kind of have backed themselves kind of into a corner, and then there's a lot, not a lot of wiggle. Going back to the personal level, you know, from the top down, there's a lot of you know media, the influence, the propaganda, etc. So it is kind of on both sides. Yeah, on both sides.、Um, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of you know fanning the flame.、Um, but I、yeah. think ultimately, you know, on the personal level, people will still you know do do their business, you know, build their relationships the same way. But you kind of have to kind of. Overstep this this obstacle that we have, like kind of this wedge in between the two the two sides. Because it, the the business, if you look at it at the end of the day, I mean, if we just do the simple math, it's really there's so much business going on. It benefits both sides, so we really can't afford not to to make it work out. I mean, that in my opinion, that that's what I think. And I think on the personal level, if someone does visit the other country, they do see things from the other side. I think that does help. With the、uh, the business relationship, at least. Yeah. So, where are we going to be a year from now? That's、uh, the million dollar question. Can you break out your? <laughs> That's the million dollar question. <laughs> I mean, if we all could predict the future. Yeah. A year <laughs> from now, that would still be before the elections, if my. That's yeah, that my, my math is correct. So, I think it also depends on the economy, right? Because. If the economy、mm-hmm. in the U.S. stays strong, and if the U.S. consumers can afford to pay these higher prices, then you know the U.S. can still afford to to keep the battle going. And it's really hard to say. I, I hope things work out one way or another. But regardless, if twenty five percent is added, it's going to be higher prices.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a chunk.、Yeah. That's definitely a chunk. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And and I kind of feel like you, if the economy. Is still on track the way I feel like it has been. I don't know how that will impact the election. I kind of feel like we, it just might be the status quo. So we'll see. Well, and we'll see if the U.S. consumer is willing to eat that, eat that, right?、Yeah. Like eat those ants、right. <laughs> while the while the、uh, elephants go and do their, you know, yeah, fighting. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't know about you these days. I kind of try to minimize my media intake. I'm the same way. <laughs> I feel like it's better for for me mentally, yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can just get it's intense. So let's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I try to focus on things that I I have control over versus worry about the things that I don't have no control over.、So. And that's the、yeah. thing, right? Like we don't have control over that, and we're just kind of just doing our、yeah. best. Well, Gary, let me ask you before we get off of here. Do you have any other? Best practices that you want to share, like maybe a single tip or like one takeaway. I will tell you that I just I love the three tips that you gave. So if you're like, just go out and have fun and enjoy life, and 
source away, then that's great. But if you have that one. Yeah. I do think, you know, besides the best practices we mentioned earlier, and I would say that when sourcing from new suppliers, especially, and especially in new countries, never forget to, to sample and inspect. Okay, never, never overlook that. So especially working in a, for a new country, you know, make sure you get your samples, make sure you do your quality control, your due diligence. That, that will really help you avoid more further headaches down the line. And then another best practice would be to add an extra buffer in your planning to compensate for more efficiencies, lower productivity, and other types of these variables when sourcing from these uh, different countries, these new countries, just adding that extra buffer. I think that will help reduce headaches later down the line. I feel like there are a lot of variables. (laughs) Absolutely. And people who are getting into space, like, China is overwhelming. And now they're thinking, oh my gosh, like maybe I should be looking at Vietnam. Maybe I should be looking at India. Now you had, we talked briefly about a cheat sheet that you might have that might help people. Can you talk a little bit about that, Gary, and where they can find this cheat sheet? Absolutely. I like a good cheat sheet. Yeah. I'm all about, you know, 80-20 rule, right? So if if your, your listeners found this helpful today, I basically, you know, put down the the key points, the best practices of the links where you can check if your products have been affected by the tariffs. Also, best practices of sourcing from Vietnam, India, and Mexico. I know we didn't go too deep in that, but I did uh, outline some of the top products that you can source from each country. Another thing that would be very helpful is how much cost savings can you expect to save versus sourcing from China? I put down a table based on some research I've done. And then uh, your viewers can uh, download this at www.8020sourcing.com slash Susie. That's www.8020sourcing.com slash Susie. That's S-U-Z-I. Got it. And I'll put a link to it directly in the show notes as well so people can access it straight from wherever they're listening to this recording. So it'll probably, of course, obviously it'll be um, a podcast. You're just a wealth of information in this space. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this because I feel like this is one of those areas that it's not super fun to talk about, but it's, it's so important that people are aware of the U.S.-China trade war and how it could impact their bottom line and how they need to have this into consideration when they're doing their sourcing. It's just invaluable information. I would love to have you on again in the future hopefully not a year from now, but it would be really interesting for us to revisit this conversation because even though I feel like things are moving kind of slow, you know, when things happen to the elephants, like things happen fast. So I kind of feel like, you know, we'll know more in six months where this is going. And we're certainly going to know the direction of things in a year from now, obviously. Uh, we're going to know, you know, the U.S. economy hopefully is is still doing well. And hopefully people if they choose to purchase products from, from Walmart or wherever, you know, hopefully they're okay with incurring some additional costs because obviously it is going to tri- trickle down. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said twinkle down. That didn't make sense. 
<laughs> it's going to trickle down to, to the anteaters, right? And so we're going to be the ones that are going to probably be eating some of this cost. So, and I'm sure sellers will, obviously they don't want their bottom line impacted that m- as much as well. So they're going to be increasing their prices and we'll likely see increased prices on Amazon and just e-commerce stores in general. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we're seeing. You know, all signs are pointing to that, you know, based on what Walmart CFO said and Costco CFO said. So I think 25%, that's a tough pill to swallow. I mean, if, if we looked at yeah. the last round when it was only 10%, I mean, 10%, it, they may be able to, you know, mitigate that, you know, in several ways, but 25%, I mean, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. And uh, unfortunately we're seeing prices going up, but hopefully, you know, both, both elephants can come to cooler heads and see if a resolution is resolved. And yeah, I would love to be back. I, I hope this was helpful. Talking to a lot of seven figure sellers, one of the, the key keys to success is that they, they pivot very quickly. Mm-hmm. So when things change, you know, that's like the prime opportunity to, you know, to pass other people. It's, it's almost like, like a racetrack, right? Like people pass yeah. people on the curb. So when things are volatile, that's, that's the prime opportunity for, you know, people to, to find that success. Yeah. And they have to be nimble and they have to be constantly open to learning. Yes. Because it's a dynamic space. Things are constantly changing. Aren't we glad though? I mean, that kind of makes things more fun. I, I like change. Yeah. Cool. But it keeps us on our toes. Yeah. So people have to constantly be learning. And my understanding is that you probably have a mailing list or a newsletter that you provide to people to help them stay on top of, of all of this information. In fact, I know you do. Yes. Because I get your <laughs> newsletter and it's probably one of the few that I'm like, oh, this looks kind of mm. interesting. And I know that I said that this is kind of hard stuff and it's not that interesting, but I think it kind of is, but I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I, I don't mind to admit that. But yeah, so I open your newsletters. There's good stuff. And will people, they'll be, they can have the option to subscribe or subscribe to that information um, when they go download that checklist, it sounds like. And they, you can help them stay on top of a lot of this that's going on because it sounds like you are perfectly placed to really have your finger kind of on the button. Like, you know what's going on. You're really aware. And, you know, there's so much education out there for people that sometimes it's, they can get overwhelmed. But this is important information that's going to impact people's bottom line. They need to be ready to pivot at a moment's notice. And it sounds like uh, the information that you provide could definitely help them in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do have a free email newsletter as well. And then um, with that same URL, they can sign up for the, the free email newsletter. If, if they found today's podcast helpful, I, I think they would get even more value from that. I think so. Gary, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much, Susie. It's been a pleasure. I, I hope it was helpful. So helpful. So helpful. And we will definitely revisit this issue, I'm sure, in a few months. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Gary. I appreciate right. it. My pleasure. Take care, Susie. Well, that's all for this episode and for our interview with Gary Wang. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you love this episode as much as I did. And I'm just blown away at the value Gary added to this podcast. I'm so grateful for his time and yours as well. So I will see you next time on the Trademarks Made Easy podcast. And remember, never stop learning.
Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur. And thankfully, like us, the laws are ever evolving.